Welcome to episode 19 of Lost in Translation with Bobby Martin. Uh, I am uh, Sam Perkins. Uh, Bobby, it's good to be back. We're really, I think, hitting our, our stride again. Uh, today we're joined by a really, a really amazing, amazing story. Um, uh, Daniel Buckaloo, who has just completed, well, just it was in April, but he's completed two Boston marathons now. Um, he is living with MS. He seems to be living well with MS. I think gives a lot of, a lot of hope, but it's a really amazing story and I don't want to give too much away, but Dan, thanks for joining us. Yeah, no, thanks so much for having me. Here. Appreciate uh, the opportunity. Um, how's everybody doing today? Dan, please. <laughs> doing fantastic. Yeah. Bobby, how are you doing? I'm tired. Yeah? We just, we just finished a move, and uh, to say it was stressful would be an understatement. Uh, man, oh, man. I'm glad to be here. Congrats on being a homeowner, though. That's big time. Do you know you what? Know? Um, it, it's big time. The girls are happy. Yeah. <laughs> so as, as long as the girls are happy, I'm good. That's awesome. I got some some big news on my end. My wife is uh, 100% cancer free. That so is that, awesome. That, that's that's been, you know, maybe we'll have an episode where we really talk about what this what 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 this last uh, year has been for us. It, it, you know, just blown away by her. She went through 12 weeks chemo. Went through. Targeted treatments throughout that time. Then she had a double mastectomy. The whole process has been really horrific. Um, her doctors have been great, but uh, but she is cancer free. So shout out to the doctors. Yeah. Shout out to your wife for being such a warrior. Yeah, this shows the power, the strength of women, man. It is unbelievable what she's gone through. It, it really is. And, and to you, congrats, <laughs> man. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I appreciate that. You know, it's been. Been really, really terrible. You know, it's been really hard for the kids, but hoping that uh, that better days are ahead. It's a long road back for her, but long but, road. Yeah. She's got a wonderful, supportive family. Yeah. You know, and I'm, I'm sure that was a major part of uh, you know her being cancer-free right now. Positive. Yeah, I, it's it's uh, it's it's uh, it's still kind of hitting me. Um, but anyways, uh, speaking of amazing stories, so Dan. Daniel, uh, why don't you take me through your relationship first with sports when you were younger, before this life-changing diagnosis, and you know, then where your relationship or athletics, I should say. Yeah. Take me through it when you were younger, and then you know, a lot of people, you know, how how old are you now? Just turned forty. So a lot of people in in there, and when when did you run your first mar your Boston Marathon? How old were you? So when I ran my first Boston Marathon, I was thirty eight. So I ran it in twenty twenty one. Yeah. So I, like a lot of people, I, I would assume that that it's kind of uh, changed or evolved your relationship with ath with athletics or an athletic. <laughs> and and a lot of people don't when they're in their late thirties, forty. Um, have a sort of athletic evolution the way that you did. So why don't you take me back to the beginning and, and talk about uh, yourself a little bit when you were younger in athletics. Yeah, so uh, athletics and sports was always a big part of my life. Um, <clears throat> I played multiple sports growing up. Um, soccer was the first sport that I played, you know, pretty much through, you know, 
most of my uh, my my young adult life. Um, I also you know, had played basketball. I played hockey. I played baseball, um, and you know had always been active. And then <clears throat> I played, as I mentioned, I played uh, soccer through my my uh, young adult life. I you know, played through through college, and then uh, after that, I uh, you know. Um, I had not been able to keep up with the whole routine of uh, being on a team and that whole commitment that comes with it. Mm -hmm. So I kind of changed my priorities because I still like to be active. So I was you know, doing more um, uh, races where I was running 5Ks or 10Ks or doing sprint triathlons or mountain biking and things like that. So I didn't uh, you know, necessarily have to commit to a team um, and, and have any, you know, distractions from what's going on with my you know, professional life or personal life or things like that impact that but it still gave me that kind of avenue for being able to you know, stay close to the uh, having that athletic you know outlet and being able to be part of those those things so um, so multiple sclerosis uh, MS um, what did you what did you know about it pre diagnosis I knew nothing and it took quite a while for me to even get a diagnosis because that's one of the things too with MS is how MS presents itself. It's yeah, you know, could be a, a you know a handful of things um, that other diseases or, or other conditions. And so it took quite a bit for me to even get a diagnosis. Um, but but when I did, it was it was good because I had closure that we knew exactly mm -hmm. what was going on with me. But I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know what MS was. I was like, oh, this will go away. And then, yeah, as I learned that, no, it's not going to go away. It's like going to be a, you know, lifelong journey now with this. And it was, you know, kind of heart-wrenching. And it also, too, is that kind of at the same time was when I actually really started, you know, having a uh, onset of symptoms that were mm -hmm. kind of severe. It was truly impacting my ability to walk, um, my coordination, my, uh, my cognitive thinking. I could barely even put a sentence together. Um, I was having vision issues, bladder bowels, because the way that MS, you know, kind of presents itself is it, you know, it's a autoimmune disease that basically attacks your central Such nervous system. system yeah, right? yeah. And so, yeah, that's the thing is like the one commonality is that there is no similar case with MS because of the way that, you know, MS is attacking the, the central nervous system. It's different for everybody. It'll it'll go at one one area of the the CNS or central nervous system and create you know some sort of uh, impact or symptom that may be different than how it you know presents on somebody else. So, yeah. Wow. So what what is a uh, I'm, I'm interested because if you're running marathons, I know playing basketball it it took everything I had just to recover. Now now with with MS and the way it's so debilitating on your central nervous system. What, what do you do to recover? Um, I got to be honest. I learned a lot about running from when I ran Boston in 21 versus mm -hmm. the one I had run it this past year. And so, you know, just even having an educa education about running, regardless of having MS or not, mm -hmm. <laughs> like, it takes a lot of work. Mm -hmm. When I first ran Boston in 21, I'm like, oh, I can run forever. I played soccer. Yeah. <laughs> Which... You know, that was, you know, maybe not the right thinking because running in a soccer game is a lot different than running 26 miles right. and even get, building yourself up to be able to do that. And, yeah, I felt like I was in, you know, an overconfident mindset where I was just probably putting way too much, you know, on in terms of, like, how much or how often I was running and how hard I was running. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, didn't didn't 
do so well for me because I wound up uh, you know, coming across some injury that first year, but then after that and learning about how to run and you know, giving yourself the break and you know, different types of things that you can do to uh, avoid injury, such as you know, your cross training or your strength training. I mean, not strength training like um, Arnold Schwarzenegger, but strength trainer, st- uh, strength training to get you, you know, prepared and you know, healthy for for running. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. There's a saying: uh, you don't get in shape. What's you don't get in shape to? Uh, you don't run to get in shape. You lift weights to get in shape to run. <laughs> you know, so strength yeah. strength training is really yeah, really important. Yeah, and balance. I mean, just just you know, even to the, the, this day, like I'm I'm not on a specific training plan. I won't pick that up until the fall because then I'll start mm-hmm. building up for run running next year. But like even now, I'm still you know kind of loosely following that whole kind of program where you know running about four days a week, but then in the off days doing strength or doing cross training, stretching, yoga. I never thought I would do mm-hmm. yoga, but yoga with all the stretching actually I, I think is hugely beneficial because runners have tight muscles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're they're all yeah they're all very stiff and tight and so yoga helps get your nut muscles back to normal length and you know then you're ready to go to get back out there and get all tight and stiffen them up again yeah. <laughs> so it's just yeah just the routine so i, I want to rewind take a step back because you started talking about the onslaught of symptoms when they got bad yeah um how old were you when you first looking back started to have symptoms started to develop symptoms that at the time maybe you, you didn't realize they yeah. were symptoms you just oh, I pulled muscle or maybe hey, I'm just kind of you know I, I didn't get enough sleep last night or something like that how old were you and where were you at in life I know that you, you live in Wilmington now yeah but you yeah. weren't living up here back yeah. then so like how old were you and kind of what was going on in your life when you when you first started developing yeah symptoms? so it was I was in my late 20s um I was actually uh at the time I was uh in my uh MBA program so I was studying for, for my master's degree, um, and it was actually ironic how I, not until quite after the fact, realized when I actually had some symptoms that I didn't actually correlate to MS. And it was, you know, one time I was just going out to a soccer field trying to kick a soccer ball. One of the things that, you know, I had always been good at is, like, placing a ball exactly where I want, like, taking a shot on a goal, and, you know, if I want, you know, top corner, that's where I would hit it. For whatever reason, I just could not kick the ball. I would try it over and over and over again, and that ball was like not doing what what I what I was used to or what I was accustomed to. You know, being able to place the ball as as I was kicking it. Like, that's really weird. Maybe it just has because I hadn't played in a while. But yeah, it just you know was one of those things. It was after the fact that I realized I was like, hey, I think that that was actually something that was going on with my my coordination. I just I couldn't strike a ball. You know how how I typically had in the past. And then, yeah, then, I, then from that, it was, you know, I wouldn't say it was, like, immediate, but, you know, a, a short time afterwards, that's when I started feeling numbness in my legs. <laughs> and even that, I didn't think that um, it was anything severe because um, that also correlated to um, me uh, at a point where I had lost a toenail mm-hmm. because of soccer. And it was summertime, so I'm walking around with, you know, no shoes on or sandals and things like that. My toe had gotten infected. And that was also the same time that I was um, going through the different types of testing um, to figure out what was causing the, the numbness in my legs. And all of the things I was doing, whether it was a, um, x-ray or uh, extensive blood work or EKG, um, n- none of that pointed to, to whatever it was. And so I was like, 
now what? And so my, uh, my primary care physician had written me a referral to go see a neurologist, but the numbness went away. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, you know what? I'm like, I think that that's the infection from my toe that was causing the numbness. So, but little did I know at the time, relapsing, remitting MS, MS will present itself and then because it, it's relapsing, it goes away, but then comes back. Wow. And so, yeah, so it was good for, for a few months where the numbness had gone away, but then it came back. So I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, I should have probably have taken up my yeah, referral to go see a neurologist. And then when I did, um, the neurologist yeah, expect, or, or, um, thought that it was MS and had, uh, had me go get an MRI done. And I got the MRI done, and what it shows is images of your brain and spine. And on the, uh, on the images of my brain, it almost looked like a 4th of July firework grand finale display of all like the bright white spots that were mm-hmm. all over my brain because of how aggressive my case was of, of MS. And that's also too, was the second time that I had the uh, exacerbation of the relapse and was, yeah, that one hit me hard and was really starting to struggle with that one, so. Now these, these what they showed you on the MRI, these white spots on yeah. the brain, what did they represent? So that's basically like, a, a good way to um, explain it is kind of like a electrical circuit, mm-hmm. and those white spots are basically like a break in that wire in the electrical circuit. So okay. it's it's basically causing damage to your axons and mm-hmm. your central nervous system. So, so gotcha. signals aren't able to get to where they need to. Right, uh, right. So is so what's your diet consist of? Because I believe that you've got uh, there's a, a called a my, myelin sheath. The myelin or, sheath, yeah, right, around yeah. the nerves. Yep. And that's so, what gets attacked, and that's where those gotcha. yeah, those lesions or those white spots are showing up. So it's like so. it's a break in the wire. Exactly. Right. Yeah. The wire is not covered. Yep. With the, okay. And then the you. signal that's being sent by your nervous system can't go directly where it's mm-hmm. supposed to go, and so that's mm-hmm. where. Yeah. How old were you when you were? So that was yeah late twenties. What goes how, what goes through your mind when you get that diagnosis? You're in your late twenties, you know. In my. Yeah, the the last semester of my MBA program, yeah. graduating. Yeah, what was going through my mind was great. I have this degree. I doubt I'm going to be able to even hold a job in my career that I studied for and have all these student loans that I'm going to have to pay back. And yeah, it was it was yeah, not a not a good spot for me at that time. So, and then because that's a that's when you're like, not a, maybe in the prime of your life, but that's when you're really like start starting to like establish yourself of what you're going to be doing for career wise, buying a house, getting married, those types of things. And yeah, it was just really a, uh, a huge wrench that was thrown into all those plans at that point in my life. So. What do you do in the immediate aftermath? What did you do? I mean, some people, they take immediate action. Other people, it's like they go into, you know, like draw the curtains and, and there's no right or wrong. I mean, it's, it's like, you're gonna handle it how you're gonna handle it like what what did you do no that's what I did I wanted nobody to know anything because like I said I was still trying to establish myself yeah trying to you know make myself yeah um or establish myself professionally within my career and I didn't want anyone to know I didn't want anyone thinking any differently I didn't even tell anyone outside of my immediate family and my um girlfriend or now wife um and and didn't share it with anyone because I didn't want people think that, oh, I couldn't do something because I have MS. Mm-hmm. Now I hear, you know, I see these commercials about some MS therapies and they say, MS doesn't define me. And I look at where I am now, I'm like, no, MS defines me, mm-hmm. but it doesn't beat me. So 
Yeah. That's a wonderful <laughs> outlook. Wow. I love that. So you've accepted it yeah. and said, yes, it, it's going to kick my butt sometimes, but it will not defeat me. How many times do you get up? I love that attitude. Thank wonderful. You. Wow. Thank you. Congrats. How, how did your family and your then girlfriend, you said now wife, I mean, that's, that's not family parents if you have good parents because not everybody's lucky enough to have good parents but that have cared for you before i think they can kind of be in the mindset of even it's devastating yeah. but um like if, if i ever got that diagnosis for one of my kids i would be devastated but I'd be like i'm gonna take care i'm like i'm here i took care of them as kids. but like how did it impact your family and how did it impact your your now wife because yeah. that's not an easy situation <laughs> to all of a sudden you're thinking about partnership and then what people who most people I think have a very limited understanding of MS know is that it can be very yeah. debilitating um, that can be like a big you know matzo ball for someone to have to eat you know as, as a as a as a, a, a girlfriend boyfriend you know at yeah. the time you know how did everybody take that yeah so um, so my wife I mean yeah it was tough like we were talking like okay so for the future like what do we do? Like, where are we gonna live? And so we were making decisions all based upon that. So the first first place that we bought was a was a condo, because mm -hmm. I didn't have to take care of a yard. We had mm -hmm. homeowners association taking care of all of that. I was yep, able to I know the feeling. <laughs> get the access right there. So there's no stairs, anything like that. So it was like we bought that house specifically because of what my condition was. And then yeah, she was even contemplating like, okay, am I gonna have to be the breadwinner? Yeah, so. She went to school and you know got her degree in accounting and you know making those types of decisions and then even through the whole journey like she would come to my appointments because that's one of the things that's huge um it's a lot to take on when you hear that diagnosis so to have somebody there with you and also hear what the physician's saying or the doctor's mm -hmm. saying and taking notes and so then like you actually have stuff where you're you know going back and say, oh, what they say about this, what they say about that. So you're not, you know, leaving there and then forgetting, you know, mm -hmm. half of the conversation. Or then even, you know, I would be talking about something leading up to the appointment that I would want to share with my, my doctor and potentially forget about it. So, I would, you know, having somebody there. And so, yeah, both my wife um, or my parents, depending on, you know, who was available at the time of my appointments would come and kind of just sit there. And that's why, like, you know, um, it's, what we were talking about earlier with you, what you're going through with your wife, it's like, it's not just the individual patient, it's that whole network and that caregiver system that's around them that yeah, is impacted by this, that has to support through that. And thankfully I, I did have the support and you know, me saying, you know, and my mindset of not wanting to share this with anything or anybody, you know, thankfully you know, my support network was going out, asking questions, doing some research, getting some education about it. And you know, was able to, you know, present some options for me to actually improve the care that I was receiving. So going from a community neurologist to an MS specialist mm -hmm. who specializes in the disease state is probably, you know, a little bit, you know, more equipped to, to treat MS because that's what they do day in and day out. And so that strongly helped me with uh, being able to see the physician, get the right options, get the right therapies and be able to, you know, better treat my, my situation. Er Early on, after the diagnosis, and because uh, I know that we're going to talk about the treatments that you're having now that have been very successful for you, but my maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think you jumped right into into those. Um, 
tell me about the 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 process early on after diagnosis. What sort of treatments were you going through, and what level of debilitated did you get before finding the right treatment? Yeah, so it was um, it was a long time for me to be able to you know want to switch to another therapy. Part of the reason for that was because you know these stronger, more aggressive therapies also do come with you know a potential of different side effects that. Um, are known and you know, could could happen, and so I wasn't willing so much to take the risk. I stayed with a therapy that was just a, a daily injection that didn't have really the safety risk, and it wasn't necessarily the strongest or most appropriate uh, medication for me. But I stuck with it because I didn't want to take the risk of you know a stronger medication and any potential side effect or, or things like that that could have happened. Um, thankfully, you know, our, our um, medical industry or healthcare industry has like come so far with what what they're able to do. Like one of the therapies that I did have you know concern about that was being proposed, um, they wound up having a pre-screening test that they would able be able to tell whether or not I would be um, you know one of those individuals that could have a, a side effect and you know. Thankfully, I had tested negative okay. and um, had get, then started to go on to, onto that therapy. Unfortunately, yeah, by the third month that I was in the, re- receiving the therapy, I had an adverse effect. Not one that was um, you know, a, a truly detrimental. It was basically I just had broken out in hives. <laughs> and so I, you know, I immediately you know, let the nurse know that at the infusion center and took that out and gave me a direct... Uh, injection of, of Benadryl, which basically cleared up all the, the hives that I had from, from the reaction of that medication. But I was bummed because I felt like I started to respond and recover with that medication and I couldn't take it anymore. I've, I've fought with my neurologist <laughs> to keep me on. He's, no, your body's fighting it off. It's mm-hmm. not doing what it's intended to. You need to you know, go on to an er- another therapy. I'm like, oh, all right. But the one thing is, and like how I mentioned, the, the, the um, just all the progress that's been made within the healthcare industry and, and um, being able to, to treat medical conditions, there's so many more therapies for MS now available, and so I had another option. Whereas if you go back probably 20, 30 years ago, there wasn't really much for probably anybody. even like 15. Yeah. I mean, uh, so how long from diagnosis until you found the right med would you ballpark it at? Uh, so, like uh, time-wise, do you, do you think it, it was? Um, I want to say it was about six, seven years before I actually switched to that stronger therapy, mm-hmm. um, and then, and then from that, because that's when I, oops, sorry, that was when I uh, um, was on those infusions that I had the reaction to. But then I was able to get onto a daily oral medication, and that had me controlled for quite a while. Mm-hmm. And so I was, I was good on that for I don't know, another like five years or so. So six or seven years before finding a med that really kind of started to make a difference. That, yeah. I mean, that's that's a long time, and you're, you know, that's like, if you if you were in your late twenties when you're diagnosed, you know, that's like, uh, I mean, it's a big chunk of your life right there. Yeah. Six or seven years, and you're only in your at that point from point of diagnosis, late twenties, so up through yeah. mid thirties. Is what's your mindset during those six or seven years? Like, how do you not just get totally defeated and just go, you know what, it's just uh, going to be my life and it's just going to get worse and just kind of 
give up on stuff and not how, how do you keep you've been successful professionally you yeah. know you're you, you've moved up here you're doing great things but like how do you not just check out on 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 hope i guess during that time yeah so so how i mentioned my my father yeah he was he was going out and you know doing his research and networking things like that he he was huge and and kind of like where I got to that point, it was almost like there was like a light switch or an aha moment mm-hmm. of when I just completely had a shift in my mindset of not wanting to tell anybody or share my story and just keep it to myself because I don't want anyone to know. Um, he wound up actually getting me in touch with somebody who was local to where I lived um, that was or is a huge MS activist. And then he he has written a book. And so that book that, that I... I read that he had written it was almost like my kind of therapeutic way because mm-hmm. I didn't want to you know, go see a doctor or talk to anybody or psychiatrist or anything like that so I read the book and it actually gave me a lot of insight on what to expect and you know how to live life and all the things that this individual had accomplished and um, wound up actually started to exchange some emails with him that was the point when I got an email from him and I read his email signature where it said CEO of his his company that he owned mm-hmm. and I saw that and that's that was that light switch or aha moment where I said you know what life's not over after an MS diagnosis I'm like if he's got you know the comfort and you know the ability to you know share his disease with people own a company a success a success uh, successful company that that he mm-hmm. manages like yeah, it's not it's not the end of the world of MS diagnosis. Things can still be accomplished, and so that was kind of like the point where I started thinking, like, okay, what can I do to to change, you know, this this path or this course that I'm currently on. Right. I wanna I wanna circle back to because I'm, I'm interested in knowing about this therapy. So, you were diagnosed at what 22? Is that what you said? It was 20. 20. Okay. So, the medication that they're giving you because your nervous system is always evolving or devolving or whatever it is, depending on, you know, whatever circumstances are going on outside your life, you know, uh, externally or, or internally. Is that part of the, 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 the treatment that they would give you? Because you're always evolving, so they have to keep adjusting until they find the right, just the right amount. And then as your, your body accustoms itself to that type of treatment, now all of a sudden you have to change it again because your nervous system has, um, you know, gone under some other type of attack. Yeah. Now the it, the way that the medication was, it wasn't like a weight based or a time based or anything okay. like that. It was yeah. This is like the first was a, a daily injection that I was taking, so it's just you take your injection daily. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing when I the, the the third therapy that I was on was the oral therapy, um, but I was. Uh, so I was, I was getting blood work and things done, you know, on a basically on a, like a quarterly basis, and um, I found that I had elevated liver enzymes. Mm-hmm. So my physician had said, "Okay, well, you're responding well to the medication. Medication doesn't need to be every single day." So he said, "You can, you know, in order to avoid, avoid any complications with your liver, you're not going to have any any um, impact from an efficacy standpoint mm-hmm. if you take, you know, a." You know, a half dose every other day or, or things right. like that rather than have it have it fully dosed and so that was like the kind of one change that um that we did take just based off of how my body was responding to it um and, I, and still yeah at that lower dose i was 
you know, it was controlled for quite some time. Mm. So, so my understanding is that the the meds that you're talking about are not the final one that you kind of found. So you you improved under those. You said it was controlled. What was your functionality like at that point? How old were you? And what was your functionality like at that point? So I was well because it also came with a lot like how I um how I mentioned that um. I had that kind of aha moment. And so one of the things that I wanted to get back to was like exercising. It wasn't, it wasn't like I was going out and running straight away. It was one of those things where, you know, I was just doing, you know, small little like kind of strength training things. The one thing too that my father also had gotten me was, um, he, he got me a, uh, a stand for my mountain bike. Mm-hmm. So it'd take the back wheel off the ground and almost turned it into a stationary bike. And it was crazy like how when, when I got on that bike, even though I struggled and you could like blatantly see that I was struggling just to walk. When I got on that bike, I don't know what it was. When I was, you know, pedaling those pedals, you couldn't have known I had MS. There was no break in, you know, the way that my legs were moving on those pedals. It was like nothing was wrong with me. And that was just like really just like such an awesome, you know, thing to experience and say, okay, well, I've got this as an opportunity to help mm-hmm. try to, you know, regain some of you know, the um, you know, the abilities that I had lost and so I was doing that I was doing some strength things um, you know pressing myself to you know, go for walks things like that and just this keep my body active and, and keep moving you know and I think and I truly to this day I mean I, I feel like exercise is probably the most underprescribed treatment for people with MS and I think that in combination with with the medications that I've been on, I th- also th- really think that the the exercise and the physical activity that I've been doing is like such a huge component of why I've been able to have, you know, such a such a you know strong uh, outcome at this to this point. Right. Yeah. I mean, it taxes your nervous system. Yeah. You know, it, it, you always have to to adapt to whatever stressor uh, you, you're putting your body under, so the nervous system automatically yeah. you know responds and I mean, respond. The body's wonderful, isn't it? <laughs> it's a wonderful invention. <laughs> Yeah. No, I mean, to that point, like heat, I can mm-hmm. go in a sauna or a hot tub or, you know, be, be in hot areas. And it was, it was funny. Um, I actually uh, learned, yeah, about like cooling my body down and like the benefit of that. When I was up here at Boston, this was before I had moved, moved to Boston. My, my wife's older brother um, lived, lived uh, in the area for years and he had a boat. And so we would take the boat into the harbor. You know, New England, we never have warm water. It doesn't matter if it's August or not. <laughs> so, so we're on the boat in the harbor, and, I, you know, I had the issues with the vision. I was having, you know, difficulty seeing the shoreline, and, and you know, it was all, it was all uh, unclear. I jumped in, in the harbor in that freezing cold water and got out, and I'm sitting on the boat drying off, and I could see the yeah, you could see the, the shoreline. Ants. You could see the ants on the shoreline at that point, right? <laughs> My vision was back. I was like, that's right. fantastic. Right. And so at that point, it was like, that was like a learning for me and our aha. Like, from that point on, I was taking showers with no hot water just because mm-hmm. it was a short, you know, little relief that I was getting from, you know, my, my you know, body being under attack with that exacerbation. What did your, uh, I'm interested to know about, about your wife, okay? She's been with you through this journey. Yeah. So what it, what was her response to it? Now, I know she went, did you ever see her break down? Did you see moments where it was? No, she's, 
had always been strong. Oh, I mean, wow. she married me. Like, <laughs> like, yeah. But, yeah. Not knowing what her future was going to be. And mm-hmm. so, like, yeah, like, just, like, so grateful and thankful that, like, she stuck through me through all this. And, like, that was, talk about the point of my life where I was, like, really starting to get myself established. She's the same age, so she's there, too. So she easily could have said, mm-hmm. oh, this is going to be too much. This is not what I want for my life. But, mm-hmm. no, stuck with me and supported me. So it's just been awesome. You know, she, uh, I think as, as as men, we go through that point where when we finally figure out that we're not supermen, that we can't do everything, you know, it's so nice to have someone by your side that um, in different ways is yeah. can be you know, your 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 wall to lean on. Yeah. You know, that's you've got a wonderful gift, man. Uh, uh, shout out to your wife. And congrats. She is. She's amazing. You know, I, I, I agree. I, I think um, great support system and great partners it makes such a huge difference. I've seen it in, in my own life with, with different things, not to the degree of, of MS, but I've seen it about going through health or mental health uh, situations when I didn't have a great partner, and then now when I do, and it, it makes a huge difference. Yeah. One thing I wanted to circle back around to is you were talking about you know, exercise, and before you even got the the, the, the right, right, the one that has made the biggest difference for you, but you were starting to improve. And then incorporating exercise, incorporating cold, incorporating these different things. I feel like we live in a, a society right now um, where there's so much polarization around like health and stuff, and that people don't understand that it's like it, it takes like a, a full, well rounded uh, thing to deal with, with, with our physical health. And when we're having issues or people will be like, you know, certainly the medical industry is pushing lots of meds at us. If you don't have the right doctor, if you look at the way in this country where our medical field is so money driven and, you know, you've got new drugs coming out for different things all the time. And they're uh, allowed to really solicit doctors, medical professionals to kind of push their drug. And you'll have people who are like, you know, don't, don't, don't. Or don't go to the you know the the medical health industry. They're just pushing anything on you. Like just work out. Or, but on the other hand, there will be people that like. There's no thought of incorporating exercise, and it's like no, like you need the balance. Both you need the balance. Clearly, clearly, you would not be able to run marathons and live the life that you are living today without the medication that yeah. you're on. Completely. But if you weren't also getting your working on your physical health. And your mental health during all this, you wouldn't be running marathons, uh, even with this met. That it's like it, yeah. it takes the full thing, and I think so many people don't get that. I saw there was there was this big study that came out, or it was a small study, but it was it it blew up on social media for a bit, where it was like exercise more effective than you know therapy, basically for for people. And it's like one, it's a tiny study. Two, how do you quantify that? But three. It's not an either or. Yeah. Like people who are dealing with trauma at my wife's field, like mental health, like therapy is so important for people like that. People yeah. that have serious mental health disorders, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, stuff like that. Like you can't just be like, go to the gym and don't take your psych meds. Like yeah. that's not, but like you need all of it to make yourself as healthy as possible. You need medication, but also getting active. Like there are huge benefits to it. So I just think that it's like, it's really important that people realize that you can't neglect either side. Like you you may need the right med, you 
you may need to be medicated for stuff. You really do, no matter how fit you get and how or you try to get or whatever, that you need that. At the same time, like you may have really debilitating disease and need a lot of meds for it, but you should also be working on your physical fitness in whatever capacity right. you can because yeah. that's going to make you a, you know, better, better at combating, better at overcoming yeah. disease in conjunction yeah. with your meds. And that goes to what you said earlier. I mean, it, it affects everyone differently, yeah. right? So, yeah. I mean, if you know, the the uh, the diagnosis is usually, you know, when you're at one stage, you have to go, uh, you know, to 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 the opposite side of the spectrum to actually start leveling yourself off. You know, it's it's they say it's a I wouldn't call it complicated, but it is complex. Yeah. You know, yeah. There has to be a balance. Yeah. So tell me about how did you eventually end up up here, and how what was the how did the process of then, all right, you're, you're on the right track with the meds, but how many more meds did you go through after you kind of started to get stabilized before the one that was like the complete breakthrough for you? Okay. All right. So start with the person, the first uh, part that you raised about how I got to, uh, to Massachusetts. So company that I work for, um, is a, uh, is a life sciences company. Feel and free to plug them. You can plug them. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna say any any products or any any companies or anything like that. Um, I mean, if you want, you can hear what I could say or what I'm saying, and then you can do some Google stuff and figure out yeah what I'm referencing. But yeah, I'm not legal. Legal has me. Uh, <laughs> I got gotcha, you. I got gotcha. secrecy. <laughs> <laughs> not that. It was just I don't want to yeah get in trouble trouble with a legal company or anything. We're like very that. controversial on this uh, podcast. <laughs> it's dangerous territory. Be careful what you say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so. So my company um, actually makes uh, or, or has MS therapies, and um, companies based in, in Bridgewater, New Jersey, acquired another company that was based here in Cambridge. Um, the company here had one therapy for MS. The company down in Bridgewater, New Jersey, had another therapy, and I was waiting to see, like, okay, after the whole integration, where is the you know, the MS franchise is going to be headquartered out of. And sure enough, it was headquartered out of Cambridge. And because, like, where I was at that stage was I wanted to, you know, continue to make as big as an impact that I could within the MS space to be able to give back and help others just as I was helped early on in my diagnosis. And so if I thought to myself, I'm like, what better way to, to do that than to be part of our MS franchise? And so that's when I got, you know, the idea that I was going to relocate up to, Cambridge, and so, yeah, and my wife, it wasn't too big of a uh, of, an, of an ask to try to convince her because she already had family that mm -hmm. lives here. So her older brother, like I said, yeah, he lived um, for uh, already had lived in Boston for for quite some time, and then her younger brother moved up probably about um, a decade after him, and yeah, he I guess is good at guitar because he went to Berkeley mm -hmm. College for music, <laughs> and uh, and and so. She, even though we're all from New Jersey, her two younger brothers were her, so it was easy for me to, yeah, kind of convince her to make the move up so that she could be with her brothers again. And I actually have an aunt who lives out in Concord, so we already had okay. some some family yep. um, up in the area and, and just loved it. I mean, we're looking at it now. It's like, okay, we're living where we used to kind of vacation, you know, when we were younger. So it's been awesome experience to be able to move up here. So that's what what brought me here. And I, and I even thought, like, when I first moved up, I'm like, yeah, I'll probably just be up here for work for just a few years. And yeah, after about two, three months, I'm, no, 
I'll never move it back never to move New Jersey. Back, right. like, By the way, I love Boston. nothing wrong with New Jersey. <laughs> I just love Boston so much. <laughs> Bob, you know, Bobby's Bobby's from Atlantic City. I see him with his Yankee shirt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I used to be a diehard Yankees fan. Like, there. Yeah. Um, and so, how did you then find this the 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 drug that was like the real? I don't want to say game changer because I think just getting hope and just getting stability and seeing some improvement as you started to. No, it's the a game changer. Disease. You can call but, it that. But this, okay, <laughs> this drug that's a game changer. How did that happen? And yeah. What was the? So I mean, for the um, so I moved up in 2015. Um, so for the first four years, um, or no, first three years, I was still on the on the one product that I was on. I was on that oral medication that had me pretty controlled. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, as I you know, had been you know, part of the, the MS franchise here. I started learning about our products that we offered, um, getting a much better understanding of them. I mean, we have this one therapy that yeah, really, really is, is groundbreaking and, and changes lives. Um, you know, there were examples like where you know, patients were struggling to walk and then you know, were able to do push-ups on stage and, mm-hmm. and you know, just regain so much of the um, awesome. disability that wow. they had and, and all of that. And, and it had been progression free or disease um, disease day free, like and so it was truly, truly like something that I was interested in. Again, stronger therapy has you know mm-hmm. plenty of uh, you know, side effects associated with it. But the one thing that you know I had had kind of learned is okay, what those side effects are. And so knowing that you know gave me a much much better level of comfort of taking that so to say risk, um, and and. Yeah, so my, my point for where I actually like changed my, my medication to go on to this therapy was I wound up you know, having a, a, my, my annual MRI done and then there was an active lesion on it. And I saw like, okay, well, yep, <laughs> there's still MS activity. Mm-hmm. Who knows where that lesion could have wound up? Like if it went on my spine somewhere and put me in a wheelchair for the right. rest of my life, like right. that's a risk that I'm not willing to take. So that was the point where I was, okay, I'm gonna go on to this therapy. I know that there's some risk with it, but I know what those risks are. That's a lot better than, you know, the kind of roulette wheel of MS and not knowing where, you know, that next lesion winds up and, yeah, is it going to put me in a wheelchair or is it going to, you know, cause me not to be able to see? Because there are people that, you know, you know, will lose vision. Yeah. And people that, you know, completely you know, have, have cognitive impact where they're, you know, not able to you know, be able to really function all that well. There's things like that. And so to me, the risk of a side effect versus the risk of the unknown of how MS could present itself was not something that I was willing to take. So, how did uh, I'm interested to know how did COVID affect you? Because you know, with so many restrictions yeah. and you having to exercise, you know, gyms yeah. are closed. Yeah. You know, they don't want you outside, right? All these restrictions. How did how did that affect you in your you know? You're training or non-training, or <laughs> so basically, we trained for a marathon for two years because right. I was supposed to run it in 2020, and then COVID happened, <laughs> and so oh yeah, and that was gonna be the first one, right? That was, yeah, wow. 2020, yeah, Man. yeah, because that was the thing. And the therapy that I took, it's basically two years. So you'll go the first year, it's infusion, five days straight of the infusion. Infusions are about eight hours a day, mm-hmm. um, and then you're good for the next year next year a year later you go back and then it's three three days that you go and then um all depending on you know how how you are you know with your ms there's 
roughly 60-70% of the patients don't need to go back for a third round or any other MS medication. And so that's where, you know, when I was like, okay, I'm going to go run the Boston Marathon in 2020. So I get the infusion. My first infusion was on Patriots Day in 2018, which is how I got the idea because I was sitting in the infusion center um, with an IV in my arm watching a Boston Marathon saying, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be two and through two infusions for the two years. And then after that, I'm going to finish my, my medication marathon by running the Boston Marathon. And so that's where I was like, even though it was like 2018 when I was watching the Boston Marathon, it was horrible, horrible conditions, freezing cold rain. That was the year that Des Linden had won it. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I remember telling my wife while we were sitting in, in, in the uh, infusion center, I'm like, I'd much rather be in here with an IV in my arm than out there <laughs> running because it was it's treacherous. But still, I had had the itch. I'm like, you know what? For me, it's a milestone of you know, where I wanted to, to be with my whole journey with MS. It was just across that Boston uh, Marathon finish line. How long, well, one, where are you at physically now after you finished the, the two years of infusions and you haven't had to go back for another is my understanding. Physically, where, where are you at? How do you feel these days? And two, how long did it take from the time of finishing up the, the first five days of infusions yeah. see that first, to get to the point that you're at now? Um, so for me, I was, uh, it was already really at a, at a good place physically um, because it was years of work to get there. And so, like I said, I was having struggle, struggling to walk, and I you know, had gotten my bike, and I was doing, doing the uh, stationary bike stuff. I was, I was doing those um, exercises to try to regain the strength, and so it was, it was baby steps along the way. I remember to this day, too, like at my mother's uh, house, where you know, I was just so proud to show her that I could do a jumping jack. Mm -hmm. You think about things that are just like so easy in your life that you, you know, typically just take for granted, and to have that then taken away from you, is, it was, was, was very tough. And so to be able to do a jumping jack, that was just like, I was so excited. I was like elated that I was able to you know, do that physical feat. <laughs> um, and then from there, it was like just continuing to try to walk even further, eventually like go for short little jogs, short little runs, eventually got myself back to um, running a 5K. Then once I did the 5K, it's like, all right, well, what's next? Okay, I'm gonna do one of those uh, those MS muck fests, which, uh, which is a, a muddy obstacle run. So then after that, it's, okay, I'm gonna do a Tough Mudder. Those are much longer, much more uh, intense obstacles that you have to go through. And so it was like that whole kind of progression of, okay, set a goal once I get there and achieve it, what's the next one? Mm -hmm. And just keep on kind of raising the bar for myself and ultimately getting to the point where, yeah, it, it just being in and around, and around Boston, seeing everybody running all the time, it was just like it helped with the whole shift of okay, I don't get money anymore. I just want to go run really hard. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, how do you feel physically um, th these days? Yeah, so physically, um, well, actually, we were talking uh, before getting yeah. on, on the on the app, like um, about yeah you know, races that I've been running, and so I and I was email, emailing you to see if yeah. you're going to be at the yep. um, fun on the fourth stuff where we had the five k going. Dude, I ran that thing in um, like. A little over twenty-two minutes. That's like that's a legit time. What in twenty-two that's minutes? The five five k. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like that's that's so that's, that's like, like a legit time. Like that's, that's like a seven for anybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like a seven thirty, a seven twenty pace or seven thirty yeah. pace. I think it was. I don't have the exact wow. results in front of me. But to your point, that was that was my pace pre MS. Yeah, and pre MS was when I was in my twenties too. I'm forty now. <laughs> so, wow. 
So yeah, I'm like just like super excited to be able to yeah get back to you know those those uh, those paces and, and and that level of strength that I had where yeah I was in my twenties. I'm like yeah, and then in COVID, how did COVID play into everything? It was kind of ironic because I um I wound up um, purchasing uh, one of those fancy stationary bikes that have the nice screens on them that you can you know have the instructors mm-hmm. call your right. names out and stuff right, yeah. <laughs> go through the french alps on, on the bike yeah. right. gotcha. <laughs> so i got one of those for the marathon just because i wanted it for my my cross training days where mm-hmm. i could like still keep up with the cardio and not have all the impact from running on my legs and things like that it was a lifesaver like through COVID, like because you know you didn't want to go outside we we're on a quarantine and even when you went outside You'd have to have a mask on and mm-hmm. running with masks is never any fun so it was like it was perfect to you know just while we were kind of like on our lockdown to still have you know a bike to be able to do the fitness at home and you know i got hooked on on you know the bike that i never thought i would like you know want to and now i had all my favorite classes and favorite instructors and things like that that you know i was doing and you know, i remember um thinking thinking through COVID, it's like you heard about so many people that like would be Oh, I don't fit in my clothes anymore, and like it's not good. Like right. I want to come out of COVID more fit than I was going into mm-hmm. it. So it mm-hmm. kind of be the reverse of I think what happened for, yeah, some people. Yeah, that, that was. I mean, for me, uh, I remember when COVID first hit in um, in March, and yeah. then you know gyms closed and everything. And from March through probably October of COVID, the first like spring, I mean, summer into fall of COVID, I did a good job of staying in shape. I was always really, really, like, pretty jacked. And uh, going outside, doing resistance band stuff, doing body weight stuff, doing all plyometrics, like all that sort of stuff. And I stayed in really good shape. And then I really fell off that first winter. Gyms were still closed for the most part, you know. And I'm still struggling now to get back into that routine. And we're talking, we're three years out from, from COVID having hit. And I've got like 30 pounds I need to lose. Um, I won't say this is the heaviest I've ever been. I have lost some weight from what it was. And also when I was an athlete, I weighed close to the same, but I carried it very differently. Mm. It was proportioned very differently on my body. Um, but it's been a struggle for me to, to bounce back. And I was someone who eat up until that point was still good about getting to the gym, being out, being active. And it was, it threw me off so much and it was so hard. And then you kind of get into the, like, it's winter, it's cold, you know, everybody's getting sick, still unknown, still everything. Like, I'm just going to stay inside. I'm going to cook meals that make me feel good. I'm going to make pasta like three times a week. Um, and so I'm, I'm envious that you were able to go through it and come out even better you know with all this and it puts me to shame that i, I can't can't say that i had a, a debilitating disease or anything on but it's it's been a struggle for me still i'm still trying to um and it's been baby steps and i have been going to the gym pretty regularly oh recently i've been going for really long i've been alternating that with going for really long walks um like but, but that's Pond awesome and, 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 and yeah and don't don't let that weigh on you. Yeah. Like you've had so much going on in your life personally. Like yeah. we, we know. Like there's there's tons of that. But then even too, like just going back to what you said earlier about like the whole mental health 
aspect of things and like what exercise can bring to to help that and that's like i feel so huge. much better don't you I, yeah, yeah, yeah i feel so much better <sighs> and i have a therapist and i'm not gonna lie i take meds for anxiety as well and so like i said for me it's a, it's a well rounded thing yeah. if i were to stop seeing talking to my therapist i would keep so much bottled up that wouldn't be healthy if i were to stop taking my anxiety meds when needed when i have uh-huh. like a panic incident um i wouldn't handle it as well but if i like stopped being physically active like even with those other things and they make a big difference mm-hmm. but the when i when I go to the gym and I get done and I come out, the sun feels brighter, the air feels better, things seem to slow down for me, just everything is better. And so, yeah, physical activity is so, so important. And, yeah, and you got that, that you already, you just accomplished something. So yeah. you have that, that's, that's helping with your hit. mindset. Yeah, you got that I'm, I'm, I'm not going to lie, yeah, too. When me and my son, Jack, that maniac monster, <laughs> um, wild wild feral animal that is my son um but they're all like that yeah. like so i'm happy to hear <laughs> when, you say when, that yeah when 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 we saw you at the fourth stuff that we were out and you were like yeah. you know you had run and everything that yeah. i went to the gym the next day it motivated me i was like man like i remember dan's story obviously i haven't ever forgot it but you know you so many things going on yeah. my wife's but it came to the forefront of my mind and i was like if he can keep doing this like i need to go to the gym that's and awesome. then the next like, day I went for a walk after that. Like, I need to do that because I don't want to, a year down the road, die on my family from keeping myself in poor health or something when I could have done something to change that. Um, but it was motivation seeing you after so that. Awesome. I was like, Thank I'm, I'm, I'm not that. lying. Um, That's my biggest thing. That's like my, 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 my North Star is yeah. like just sharing like my experience of, of exercise or physical activity and things like that with people and just hoping to be able to have that influence others to, yeah, just live a better, healthier life in that regard. So, so we haven't even gotten into the marathon. I want to make sure we do that before everybody has to go. (laughs) So you had this idea, this epiphany in 2018 watching and your first kind of infusion that like, I'm going to run in the marathon. How, what, what did your family think about that? What did your wife think about that when you first said, hey, this is what I'm going to do? And two, how do you get from epiphany in a chair, uh, getting an infusion, to running that first marathon? How does that happen? Um, yeah, so a lot, a lot had happened because I thought that I was just going to be able to go sign up for Boston like any other race like that I did, whether it was 5K or a Tough Mudder or something like that. And then come to realize, I'm like, oh, no, this is the most prestigious, oldest marathon in the world. Like, it's not that easy. You actually have to qualify to get into Boston. Or if you don't qualify, you go through a foundation and sign up to raise money. Right. Yep, yep. And so I was looking at the times to qualify, like, yeah, no, that's not the (laughs) avenue I'm going. I'm not that fast. (laughs) So, because they got got pretty pretty fast times that you need. That's why Boston's, I think, probably the fastest marathon in the world just because of you know you have all those fast runners that are actually qualified so i'm like looking at the different charities and to see ms societies there who i already had been you know partnering with um when i was doing the ms walks for for multiple years um and i said all right well i can go to the ms society and you know maybe get in that way and it's tough to even get in with a charity because there's so much demand that you know they'll get tons of applications and not everybody gets in and so thankfully I was I was fortunate enough to um, you know, get selected and g- given the opportunity to be part of that team in 2021 um, 
and uh and and so that was that was my whole route going in to being able to to get to the boston marathon what was how do you what was training like for that first one what did you do you know so we have um the thing that's nice about that is so um ms society as well as other charities so like dana farber um the Brigham and women's uh teddy's team flutie foundation we all have one coach that will give us a, a training plan based off of what our level of fitness is mm-hmm. and yeah, how much we should be running and how far for each of those runs, what else to incorporate. And so we had some guidance in terms of like how to be able to get yourself ready for these races. Um, and uh, I mean, it, it was great because then you had, you had that whole support. And then also too, you know, we would have times where there would be runs throughout the week that we would do. So Wednesdays was always a group hill run where we'd go into uh, Boston Common and basically run up the uh, the Beacon Street Hill there mm-hmm. up to the State House um, over and over again, doing our hill repeats to get ready for the uh, infamous Heartbreak Hill. That's a Newton. It's the, the famous part of the course. I think a lot of people know there's always huge cheering sections out there once you get to the top of the hills because at that point, it's basically you know, downhill as you make your way into Boston. So it's kind of like a milestone point in the, in the race. Um, and then also, too, on Saturdays, we would have long runs. Long runs, we would you know, we'd start at one point. Many of the long runs were out in backs. Um, we would go out and whatever our distance was, you know, get to that point and then come back to be able to get whatever the full distance that you wanted. Um, and it was just really cool because when you're out there, you're out there with not only your charity, but the other charities that are part of like our coaches charity group. Um, but then there's also two tons of other runners, people mm-hmm. that are you know, not affiliated with any sort of running program, just out doing their own thing. Um, you got Heartbreak Hill Running Company. They have their own program. So there's a ton of runners that, that are going through that group that are out there. And so it's just every Saturday you go down Com Ave and, and, uh, and and um and and the course you'll you'll see so many people that are out there there's hydration stops there's you know what what places or what establishments you can go in if you need a bathroom or something like mm-hmm. that and so and then after afterwards we would come back and um we would have a physical therapist that would be at our disposal if we you know, had any like twinges or anything that like happened while we were out for a run be able to get it checked out and so you know it's good to be able to have that kind of support network um from like actually like being there and with people so that's awesome wow <laughs> what, what was that first marathon like the first marathon it was tough it was really tough because unfortunately because i was so overconfident that i could just run because i had to play soccer you know all my life and didn't really know how to run a marathon i wound up injuring myself five weeks out from race day mm-hmm. so at that point and that was a point or that was when i only got to 16 miles my coach was like if you can do 16 you can do 26 all right if you say so but 10 miles is a lot of adrenaline that's going to carry you past that 16 miles to get to 26 um so had a little bit of of, uh yeah kind of concern that i wouldn't be able to do it but at the same time it was almost like it's it's a head thing it's you have to have your mind in it and that you're going to accomplish that and for me it was just such a thing where i had that milestone of, okay, 10 years ago, well, it was 11 because we got pushed to 21. 11 years ago when I first was involved with the MS Society and we did the MS walk, I couldn't even walk the, the three-mile course. It was you know, something that I physically wasn't able to do. I had all my family and friends there supporting me, but I just physically couldn't do it. And so 
I was just like, yeah, next year I'm going to do it. Even if I'm struggling to walk it, I'm going to walk it. And so that's that was one of the, the steps along the way to get to get there. Um, but for me, you know, when I'm running the 2021 Boston Marathon, it was it was a milestone for me just to get to that finish line. That's all I wanted to do. And unfortunately, you know, with dialing back after I got my injury through the training, dialing back my running um, and really focusing on my physical therapy, trying mm-hmm. to get myself you know, as fit as I could be to start, I knew that I wasn't. I was at the start of line. I'm like, yeah, this uh, this calf issue that I'm having is is I'm not 100. percent And sure enough, I got to Natick. It was about 10 miles in mm-hmm. when my calf just locked up on me. I was even running slower than I normally would. I stayed with one of my teammates who who uh, who was at a slower pace, and so I figured if I stayed at that pace, that yeah. I would be able to get there. And yeah, no, I was in Natick, so I had 16 miles to go. So it was a limp walk jog the rest of the way. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say this. You are nuts. <laughs> 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 there is no way in the world I would go out there and run a marathon. Uh, that is not on my bucket list. Um, I remember in, playing in Spain. Uh, we had to warm up uh, during the preseason. They would have us on the track, and we would have to run two miles before we started practice. And we would, they would take us uh, through the woods, and we'd run the woods. We'd run golf courses. Uh, and one day, I just told him, I said, "Look, I'm a, I'm American. I'm not Kenyan. I, I, I can't do this." <laughs> and it's funny because they made a joke out of it. They actually called me Marathon Man. That's awesome. <laughs> because I just said no, but I was in shape. Every time I went back to Spain, they actually allowed me to come back a month later because they knew I would be in shape. Okay. You know, that's awesome. But yeah. man, oh man, that type of running. <laughs> uh, you ran the 5K in what time? So it was 22. 22 minutes. Yeah. I, I believe the only time I've ever run a 5K was in college. And our coach told us that it was, a, it was in Pittsburgh. So, yeah. and uh, he told us, if you run the 5K, you don't have to do 20 20s. <laughs> All right, the suicides, yeah, 20 suicides know. in 20 minutes. So oh, like, 20, 20, 20. like idiots, we ran the 5K. That was the last time I ran the 5K. <laughs> yeah. And I believe it was like 45 minutes or something <laughs> like that. I was coming out doing the city, boy. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Man, that's amazing. So you learn from Marathon 1, and, you know, you, you said you walk – uh, how did you describe your your, your uh, final sixteen? Limp, limp jog run, yeah. uh, limp jog run to the finish line. But still, what does it feel like when you finish that first Boston Marathon? Oh, it was yeah, it was just such a relief. Like I was able to get there, and it was even it was tough because I still had like when I had that calf lock up on me. That was only ten miles in. Yeah, I had sixteen to go, and but what really carried me and what I tapped into because I mean there are the fans there. Um, basically, the entire course, you know, you have some of your spots are you know, a little bit more populated than other, others. But, you know, having those fans out there, they carry you. But then also, too, what I was thinking of is all the years, all the support, because like I mentioned, I had been doing the MS walks for all this time, but then also, too, all the support that I've received from everybody um, throughout my journey. And, you know, to me, that's also, too, what truly motivated me. Like, I cannot stop. I'm like, these people supported me. These people donated to, to this cause in support of me to get there. I'm like, there's no way that I can bow out. I need to get to that finish line no matter what. Mm-hmm. And I didn't care if I was, you know, 10 hours. 
I did it in under six. I did it in five hours and 57, uh, 57 minutes. Um, but I got there. And so it was just like fantastic to be able to get there. I was just so proud to have that medal and be wearing that medal and just say, I ran the Boston Marathon. That is something that I will just hold near to my heart for the rest of my life. Uh, tell, uh, tell me about going back for number two and so, what was different for, for about this time around? Um, what was your training like this time around? And, and then I want to hear about the experience because I was down there shooting <laughs> you um, and it was wet. And it was, for me, it was cold because I was out of shape carrying around a bunch of cameras and just sitting there not not being able to move. So, but uh, it's tough when you're not running. Being yeah, out there. yeah. I mean, for you, it might have been refreshing, but but for me, it was miserable. Yeah. Um, but I want to hear about what was different for for number two as far as your prep and then I want to hear about what that experience was like going back. Yeah, so for the second one, because I had gotten hurt in, when I ran in 21, I wanted to get to the starting line healthy. I wanted to go through the entire training program, get there healthy. One of the things too also that I that I worked in where I you know, learned how to change my approach and not you know go out as, as strong or as frequent or as fast on my runs. Also too, <laughs> just what you're what you're running on in terms of surface so i do everything i can to avoid a sidewalk because there's no give at all in concrete right i'll be on pavement so like i used to be one of those people who's like why is that person running in the road like the sidewalk's completely wide open now i'm that person running in the road because asphalt is actually a little softer Softer on the feet than concrete concrete. and then if there's like a path like or grass i'm going on that because that's even softer so Mm -hmm. everything i can to like just like have softer impact on the legs is is something that I would, yeah I'm, I'm doing now but for me in in this past april i wanted to you know get to the starting line fit and healthy and then also to come in in under four hours unfortunately it wasn't my day it also too at the same time which i kind of feel it makes me feel okay about it it wasn't Iliad kipchoge's day either I don't mm-hmm. know if you know that. Yeah, it wasn't a lot of people stay. Was just, yeah. Right. Were, but yeah. He's the GOAT in the marathons where, yeah, he yeah. basically has records everywhere that he goes. And so when he's coming to Boston, he's like, I'm not only going to win Boston, I'm going to set the Boston course record. And, like, hats off to you if you do because, yeah, pretty much once a decade, you're actually going to have a tailwind. Most of the time, yeah, you're yeah. going to be having a headwind. Yeah, against the wind. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the, the last course record that person who had it, it benefited from, from a tailwind, so... From what I remember being out there, I believe it was windy. I believe there was a wind. I don't know if my mind is just making it up because I was so cold and wet, but I believe there was wind as well. Yeah. yeah. Not going towards the finish line. (laughs) (laughs) No, yeah, there definitely was. But, I mean, that was the thing, too. Like, for me, when I I ran in April, I wanted to get to the the starting line fit and healthy, but then also, too, not wet and muddy Mm because I saw... Yeah, what it looked like for people when they ran in 2018, and how like how like wetty and uh, or wetty, muddy and wet they that they were um, just getting to the starting line because Athletes Village out in Hopkinton was just a huge like pigsty. It was like a mud pit. <laughs> so yeah, I was fortunate enough to um, you know be able to dress appropriately. Basically, you like don't wear any of the stuff that you're actually gonna run in. It you yeah. You know, where stuff that you could just like throw away, which gets donated um, to whatever charities that, that the BAA collects all the all the throwaway stuff for, um, and then you know it started pouring when we were there, so we were able to get underneath a uh, a tent and um, 
you know, stay, stay dry, get all of our, our running stuff on. And then for whatever reason, as soon as it was time for our group to make the way to the start line, the rain stopped. Sun came out. Oh, nice. Sun didn't come out, but the rain just stopped. Okay, all right. That's, that's the start. <laughs> just as good. So I was able to get to that starting line dry, clean. Nice. So it was good. And then once it started raining along the way, you're already out there running. And so it just actually was a little bit of a refresher. It's not like, you know, how you were standing around just in the rain. It's like, I even, I, like, I feel bad for people working the water stations and stuff because it'll be cold, it'll be rainy, and it's going to be awful for them. But when you're out there running, it's not as bad. Right. So it's almost like, yeah, great spectator weather is horrible marathoning weather, whereas, yeah, horrible spectator weather is good marathoning. But did you have that sympathy for the uh, for the people working the stations when you were running, or oh. did you say, "Give me my water"? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I I love it, and that's the whole thing that's so cool about bosses. Like, yeah, I'll be running, I'll be you know chit chatting with with people along the way. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember anytime I saw somebody in a Bruins shirt because Zidane Charo is running. Oh, really? The, yeah, he ran. Okay. He ran in April. Yeah, yeah. and like jokingly, to I'm, I'm like. Right. That friggin' monster of a man probably only has to take a couple hundred strides before he'll be at the finish line because he's so dull. Yeah, <laughs> if Shara, as an as an, the way that basketball heights are versus if Shara was a basketball player, they'd list him at six eleven. I mean, he's like six nine and a half barefoot. Mm. Like they put him on skates. Yeah, yeah. and uh, he's like seven feet on skates. They said, but like it's so funny about it. it just made me think about the di- the same height but in different sports. What it'll be listed yeah. at. But at, at, anyways, but yeah, it was funny. I see people in Bruins shirt. I'm like, where's Chara? I gotta catch him. Mm-hmm. He put up a really good time too and i saw his result did he yeah yeah what so what do you, what are there things that now we're some months out and you're starting to you know you're not starting to train yet for the next one but your brain i'm sure is at least starting to think about the next one yeah. but are there things now a couple months out you know you don't maybe remember every moment but are there things that that still stand out from that course that day are there what do you remember about that so it was actually really cool like and and what I mentioned earlier about like how like I used to have like a, a whole network that was like you know, decent sized network, but now I've like gone global and have people mm-hmm. all over the world. And, like so, my company that I work for like has fully embraced my story and yeah has awesome. promoted it. And so actually, the um, the day of, of the marathon, um, our North America president that that runs our operation here in Cambridge, on his LinkedIn page he put a post out about me running the Boston Marathon and my dedication and about my journey. Cause like I knew him, you know, when I had first moved up, he knew about my case of MS and like what actually like from a professional standpoint, why I relocated to, to Cambridge to work um, and has just been impressed and completely supportive of my story. And so he, he, he shared a post and then um, I was, it's emailing him um, and it, you know having some exchanges with him leading up to it. he's like oh he's like maybe I'll be out there you know uh, on on Monday cheering and he he lives right in Wellesley so I'm coming into Wellesley and I'm like I'm looking in the crowd and he's 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 a tall dude and so oh I see him I'm like there's Bill so I run over and I, I told Bill like I wanted to do the thing in under four hours and I'm like I, I at that point I'm like I'm just not gonna get there I just don't have it today. Um, so like I see Bill, I, I run over to him. Like I'm not gonna get under four hours, but I'm gonna PR, give him a huge high five, and you know get on my way and keep going. I also had, um, what was it? They were in Natick. My uh, my aunt and uncle were in Natick, so they like yeah. You know, I had Sweet. people basically you know strategically placed. Not, I mean, they were just there. I almost had like every single town cover where I knew somebody, and they were telling me what side they're gonna be on, so to be able to to run through and you know see you know 
all different people that I knew and get get that support, give the high fives, and, you know, you start getting into maybe a place where you're like, you know, I don't know if it's a dark place, but you're thinking like, oh, what am I doing, what am I doing? And then you see, you know, people that you know, and then it just gives you that, like, motivation to keep going. Yes. You get to Wellesley, the Scream Tunnel. That's scream, always a Scream Tunnel? Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I, I'm guessing there are plenty of people in Wellesley. Oh, that's like a, no, a, a right in front of the college. So okay. all the girls, so it's all-girls school. Okay. And so you can actually lead in up to the marathon you can you know send an email to um the wellesley college girls ask them to write you a sign okay and they'll hold signs for you they're all okay. out there they're screaming for you so loud like and you can legitimately hear them from a mile away wow like first time i was out there i'm like what's that roar and i look at my watch because <laughs> <road of> crowd. <laughs> look at my watch to see where i'm at i'm like is that is that the wellesley girls that's so, so cool. So you run through, and yeah, they're all out there screaming. It is so loud. You might be deaf in your in your right ear, but uh, for a little bit. But yeah, they're all out there screaming. And the the other part, which was funny during COVID, um, they give kisses. So you'll see people like you know just like veer off to the right, and you get a little peck on the cheek, and then keep going. And the girls will be out there with signs and like, oh, kiss me, I'm a cowgirl, or you know, okay. something like that. So that's also like the other little, yeah, you know, <laughs> fun fun point along the course. It's kind of got a kind of has its own thing. But yeah, it was funny back in uh, in in um, 21. BAA was putting out press releases about the marathon, and in one of the paragraphs they specifically had to write. Please do not kiss any strangers. Mm. Like, <laughs> yep, that's where like, the Wellesley I'm going to start this race in Wellesley. I'm going to start in Wellesley and end in Wellesley. It's so, a part of the race. So, 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 whoops. That's fine. Uh, so you, uh, you f- uh, complete a PR. You know, you don't hit your goal of sub four, but you yeah. get a PR on a wet, cold, wind blowing in your face day. Um, what's next? What's next? What comes next? I got a break four hours. This time. Yeah. Thankfully, because I'm coaching soccer here in Wilmington, um, there's another a, a guy on the, on, on the board who's a coach. Um, he's also a uh, rough running coach. So I was able to connect with him. And, you know, I do have our overall charity team coach, um, but he's not dedicated to me specifically. And so, um, so I, you know, to help me get to that four hour goal or breaking that four hours, um, I now have you know, somebody that, that's a you know, professionally certified running coach that's gonna help me, help me get there. So that's, that's my goal for this next year. And then I'm already thinking past that because this year I'm gonna, I'm gonna break that four hours. But I'm already thinking past that is I wanna BQ. I wanna get that Boston qualifier. And so how I said that you know, running Boston and just crossing the finish line the first year was just a milestone for where I on where where I am with my my journey with MS. That BQ. Now I'm looking at it. Now that I know about that, and that's something that I want to achieve. And it's almost like my my new mantra is like getting that BQ is going to be my FU at MS. So just showing the like nice. where I've come and what I'm going to uh, accomplish, and that MS is going to hold me back. So. so I guess the last thing that I would ask you, and I appreciate how long you've been in, you know. We've, this is one of our longer podcasts that we've done. There's been so much to cover. What 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 advice would you would you give to someone who has just been diagnosed with MS? And that's a heavy thing. But like, what what would you tell them? It's it's the kind of it's one of those ground opens beneath you diagnoses, and it's hard to hear anything, yeah. and it's hard to see through the haze and the and 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 
even have the idea that there could be brighter days ahead. What what advice would you give to someone that has just had that diagnosis? Just don't shut, shut yourself off from other people. It takes it takes a group. It, it's your individual diagnosis, but it's that whole network around you that supports you that's going to help you. I mean, that's people people innately you know feel good about helping others, and so you know to ask for help when you need it, you're going to have to. And people won't shy away from helping you. People will help you and help you get you know where you need to be. And and if you have questions, ask questions. That's one of the things. It's just because somebody's a doctor doesn't mean that you have to take every single word that they say, and that's exactly it. Ask those questions, and you know if if you're not getting the outcome that you want, keep on pushing. It's that persistency, and that's one of the things that for me is just something that I find to to be so important is just having that kind of you know persistence and 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 pushing for what it is that you want to accomplish. Awesome. Thank you. Well, thank you for joining us yeah, today. No, I appreciate it. Dan, Bobby, thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, yeah. man. This yeah. is awesome. Ep- Thanks. Episode 19 in the books. Yeah. So thank you. Awesome.